Welcome, everybody, to Derek's Discussions, Season 2, Episode 19, here with Connor Kerpat. You know, you graduated last year, so first of all, how are you doing today? It's been a little bit. It feels uh, feels good to be here, Derek. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, things have been good. Um, how are things going with you? It's been quite a while since uh, I've talked to you one-on-one. We've talked a lot in our Snapchat group chat, uh, talking smack to each other about our fantasy league. Um, which we're actually playing each other right now, which is pretty exciting. Uh, you're probably going to win because now Darren Waller's out this week again. Can't stay healthy. Um, but yeah, no, happy to be back, and I hope you're doing good too. Yeah, everything's good. You know, finally, you know, it seems like everything's back to quote-unquote normal, I guess you would say, after, you know, quarantine and COVID-19 and everything, you know, going on uh, just just in the world today. But everything just seems to be going well. So, Obviously, you're at MLB Network right now, uh, working at MLB Network. So how is that experience like? It's been a really good experience. Um, I've learned a lot since I've been – I think I've only been here four months now, five months. Not not that long, nothing too crazy. Um, but it's been a really great experience having like that hands-on uh, work that I have at the network. I've done a mix of different things, like started out doing mostly just like plain video, like VOs, like 15-second things. Uh, and I've gotten more into like social media videos and like in bumps, which are like montages with like music and full sound and stuff like that. So I've been cutting a lot of those together. I made one for the Yankees and Astros that made it on the network social, which was really good. Very happy about that. And I did one about Tom Seaver and like DeGrom and Scherzer, which funny enough, the whole piece about Seaver and Scherzer that I did and DeGrom was about the pitchers going deep and then they got blown apart. Like the next series that they both pitched in, it was, um, Came out right before the Brave series, so yeah, I think I jinxed uh, Scherzer and Degrom. No, it's been uh, it's been good so far, and actually, right now too, the MLB Network owns the uh, broadcasting rights for the NHL Network. So I've been doing a lot of hockey as well right now, because um, baseball is kind of coming to an end. So I've kind of been shifted over to hockey. So it's been a great experience. I've really learned Premiere a lot, learned how to cut video a lot, and kind of seen how the production side of of broadcasting sports network shows works, which has been really great. And then, you know, obviously only being there for a couple months and learning a lot, what are your kind of expectations for what the future holds? Or are you just living it day by day right now? I think it's a little bit mix of both. Like I still have hopes and expectations for the future. Um, like, obviously I think I still want to pursue something on air in the long run. Um, obviously that's something that I feel like there's no set path to becoming an on air person. Like, there's so I've heard from like, I mean, you know, at Maris, we have a bunch of different people come and talk, whether radio, TV, journalism, what have you. And like nobody ever has the same path. And I feel like in the world that we live in today, hearing how someone 40 years ago or 30 years ago got on air is so different from now because we have so many different avenues of like putting stuff on like this in general. Like this didn't exist 20 years ago where you could just hop on Zoom and make a show. Um, so I feel like the ways you could do it are so different that like I'm still trying to figure out what's the best way to go and how to do it and what I want to do with that and how to get on air, which is still like the end goal, obviously. But it's it's also taking it day by day. Like I have faith that, you know, as long as I keep working hard, keep doing what I'm doing and keep learning, like something's going to not necessarily fall in my lap, but uh, it, it'll, it'll all work itself out, I feel like to some extent. So mixing with uh, the expectations and just having faith that the gr- through the grind, things will work out. That Yeah, that, that's kind of like my approach. And then what got you into, you know, doing, you know, sports media, sports, like what, like what made you want to go into, you know, this field? That's actually, uh, 
it's actually funny. I never would have thought like if you told me as a freshman in high school that I'd be doing sports media and like wanted to be on TV, I'd be like, nah, there's no literally no way. Like that's hilarious. Uh, originally, I wanted to do um, criminal justice and do like FBI stuff because I thought that was like pretty sick. And like my dad's police officer, so like I grew up with that background and like knowing that and what that work comes with. Um, and then in high school, I remember me and my friend we would sit in our one like music and media class. And we would just like talk about sports all the time, mostly like football. And our professor who ran the television, high school television station, um, he would overhear us all the time. And he's one of my people that I really like and thankful for because when my senior year was starting, he gave me and my friend the gig to do the afternoon TV show, like sports TV show every day. Um, which to me that really like unlocked something in me and found like, oh, this is actually what I really like to do and what I would really like to do like as a career and stuff. So anyway, though, when high school was coming to an end, I was touring colleges and I toured a couple for criminal justice because I think I thought that was still what I wanted to do. And then I went to Marist and they were like, yeah, we have like a sports com program where it's like TV and stuff. And I was like, yo, I could do this like as a career. Like that's insane. Like I'd never even thought of that. So I was like, this is kind of like what I actually want to do. I think I think I want to give it a shot because I love doing it in high school. And again, I credit my teacher, Mr. Frazee, because he is the one that kind of steered me in that path to begin with. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, once I got to Marist, I kind of did those classes and did the clubs and it just really took off as something I really enjoyed doing. And I think I'm pretty good at. And then obviously, you know, the Marist, you know, Center for Sports Communication is like somewhat new. Um, obviously, now we have a new, you know, interim director now, but you know, when you got here, the sports comm department was like just starting up. So what was that experience of kind of like elevating the entire quote unquote program? Yeah, it was definitely pretty cool. It's funny because like when I first got there, I don't think I really knew that it just started, but I think it actually just like, for example, like center field, I think had just started the year before I got there and I didn't know it was like that young, but um, yeah, it was pretty cool seeing like, especially <clears throat> seeing how like Centerfield started, uh, for example, and seeing where Centerfield came to at the end, like me, Bridget, Mackenzie, Jonathan, like making the Centerfield magazine, like that was really big. Oh, Jared too, uh, making that Centerfield magazine was really cool. Um, and yeah, just seeing how it grew because like, yeah, at first it really just seemed like just Centerfield. I mean, that was kind of it for sports communicate like the center for sports communication quote unquote it just felt like it was just center field and then jane came jane took over she did a lot especially during like covid too of keeping it like very um initiated with the students by having like the speaker sessions and things like that ways for students to get involved and then events too as well <clears throat> like we had a couple of awards show in the city with bob costas there was another event uh my sophomore year where it was like a city it was like a panel with like a guy from the nflpa um, so like having that and seeing it grow from being basically center field to something that's, you know, where big people in the industry, like actually come to the school and talk to the students and you could learn from them and make a connection with them. That's been really special to watch too. And even like now seeing something that never existed, which was now you guys have the red Fox report. I mean, that was never around when I was there. It was just our only Avenue of doing TV stuff was halftime on the Hudson, which was all student run. Like that was basically on us to make it look good and look as close to a TV show as possible. But like now having like an actual ESPN producer being professor Chris Rivietto, my guy um, actually come in and like put his fingerprints on it and like make it actually feel like more of a sports center show. 
and having that rep of it, like, I feel like have where you guys can show that to an employer and be like, yo, see, I kind of like did this already. Like I kind of did sports center work, not only just on our own, like it was cool if we could say, yeah, we did have time on the Hudson. Like here's the work that we've done for halftime on the Hudson. But now you could say I've done like a red Fox report. That's basically run by an ESPN producer. It's pretty cool to be able to say that. So I feel like Maris is just taking these big leaps in such a short amount of time. Really. I think it's like I said, five years now, I think it's only been around the center for sports communication really at the level it's at now only like five years. So seeing it take these huge leaps is really cool to see because I think these bigger leaps that it's taking is only going to make it be more of a draw for students coming here. Like I feel like Maris is known as a business school and a fashion school, but I think pretty soon it's going to be known as a sports comm school too. Okay. And then obviously you talk about the elevation just of the sports comm department as a whole. Do you see it becoming one of, not that it's going to be like really competitive con- compared to like a Syracuse. Cause obviously Syracuse has that, you know, name, but do you see it to be like in the top 20 of, you know, this is a school where it's a smaller school, but it's still, you know, up there. Obviously I feel like right now it seems like Marist college is kind of the underdog for everything, but do you see it to be at a point where it's, you know, up against, you know, those, you know, bigger schools later on? Yeah, no doubt. Um, I definitely think so. Just because of the talent that the school brings in to teach there, uh, having someone like Freddie Coleman come in and teach, or I think we had a Michael Michael Smith, I think was the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he yeah. was there a while ago. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So like Michael Smith, uh, Freddie Coleman, uh, Chris Rivietso, uh, even Leander, like being, he was a Yahoo writer for a long time. He's been in the journalism field forever. Jane, and again, another one, I feel like having that prime talent of people who have worked in the industry for a long time at, at a, the, the highest level, like Leander being a beat reporter for so long, covering so many soccer teams, um, having Professor Vietso literally come from his ESPN job to teach a class. And I mean, Freddie still has his overnight show all the time. Having people like that, that are literally working in the field and are well known in the field, like a lot of people who listen to sports talk radio know the name Freddie Coleman especially if they're coming home at night, listening to the radio, Um, having people like that, that can really show you, you know, because they're the very best show you how they got there and basically hand out all their talents to you and be that connection for you. Like, I think that's the most important thing about having them at the school is not just, Oh yeah, you can sit in class and learn from them and learn their skills, learn their talents and learn what got them there. I think what's even more important is building that connection with them. Like, I know that now I can still text Freddie or text uh, Professor Vietso or text Jane and be like, hey, I'm just, you know, um, this is how I'm feeling. Like, how do you think I can build upon it? Or like, like I texted Freddie a couple weeks ago and I was like, hey, listen, um, I still want to do on air, but I quite honestly, like, I don't really know what path to take. Like, what do you think I should do? Like, should I take this approach or this approach? And he gave me some good advice on it. So being able to build those connections with the again, the best people in the industry, I think it's really good. I think that's what's going to push Marist over the edge, over the top in sports communication. The only thing that hurts them is that the sports at Marist are not always very good. And when you're covering teams that aren't very good, that could suck. But Marist is still D1, so you're still covering D1 schools. And I mean, not every sport is bad at Marist. It's just football is not good, and that's the major one. But basketball is always good, so that's pretty huge. And I think our baseball team is kind of good sometimes. And, like, I know our, our lacrosse team is sometimes pretty good. Um, So that's the only thing that is the downfall, because, like, at least at Cuse, like, everybody knows Cuse because basketball. And I mean, Cuse football is pretty good this year. Um, So I don't think they're ever going to get to Cuse's level, but I think they could definitely crack top 25. If, if we're doing an AP poll ranking of 
towards com colleges, uh-huh. I think they could crack the top 25, definitely. Mm-hmm. And then when comparing, you know, other colleges, it seems like, you know, Marist College has, you know, now the Red Fox Report, you know, obviously halftime on the Hudson. These are their programs, but, you know, the one thing that they don't have that most colleges do, obviously we still have the contract with ESPN Plus covering, you know, games, but the only thing is it's mostly adults that are covering the games and it's, you know, the, uh, you know, kids that are behind the scenes. Do you see that? Obviously, you know, we're not necessarily insiders, so we don't know what's necessarily happening. But do you see that to be, you know, when they're taking the next steps, kind of like an aspect of where that could change? Yeah, quite honestly, I think that's a must. Um, I think students need to be able to get in the booth. And listen, I get if you don't want to put it, which I mean, like, if we're being completely honest here, nobody's watching Marist football probably for the commentating. Nobody's watching Marist basketball on ESPN for the commentating. Like, for the most part, you have to go through the ESPN app and find where it's streaming. Um, So it's not like it's it's not like it's right there in front of your face, like watching Alabama and Georgia is, and you're like, wow, these announcers suck. Like it's a student, it suck. No, like it's a it's still a nationally broadcasted game, which is great but I don't think anybody's watching for the broadcasting. So having students being able to get in the booth, get their hands dirty and I mean, make mistakes. Like that's fine. I think that'd be great. I, what I think they should do if I were in charge, which I'm not, but if I was, <laughs> I would say that they should get a student in the booth as like the caller of the game, let's say, and have a color analyst, uh, an adult who's more seasoned, be like the color guy so if he sees the students kind of slipping a little bit he can cut it cut in boom take it in his direction make sure that the thing is still flowing give the student a break especially having a color analyst who can dissect the game that could really give the student a nice break collect their thoughts be like okay i gotta do this next let's build off this and having a color guy who can really like bounce back and forth with the student and teach them the ropes i think would be huge huge and again i think you're right i think that's the one thing marriage is missing and that'd be a huge draw for them if you could say hey listen because we are a smaller school and that that's what they could use to their advantage because we are a smaller school while our sports aren't as popular as like Q's or some of these bigger schools, we might be doing sports com. That's a benefit to us because we can allow students to get in the booth and call games. I think you're right. That is huge. That'd be huge from going forward. Yeah. Now the uh, WMAR is starting to come alive. Um, Obviously it's still a work in progress, but that's another thing when you're comparing other schools that a lot of schools have radio stations. Ours is, you know, finally coming back and I've been talking and it seems like WMAR will be able to do actual sporting events. So the radio station will be able to do sporting events. Who knows about the ESPN plus thing, but you know, that's something that, you know, in general that Marist college seems like it's heading in the right direction. Uh, Now talking more, you know, just about you and obviously your experiences, how would you say Marist college, the sports comm department, has helped you slash like prepared you uh, to work at MLB Network? Yeah, I think it's definitely helped me a lot uh, from both the skill set aspect and like what I learned. And then with the, again, connections I made that I mentioned before, like I talked a lot about connections, so I'll, I won't talk about that as much. But I think, again, building those connections to your professors, building those connections with people that you meet in the industry is huge. Because like I know that I can still reach out to Jane, Freddie, Chris, Rubietso whenever I want to, to get the help that I need when I'm making a decision, uh, uh, a not, not, not a business decision, but a professional decision. Um, 
And I think that's huge. And that's been a big help for me, even making connections with students, like uh, a big part of why I was able to get the MLB job is because I spoke with someone I knew that graduated from Marist and he helped me out, give me some advice. So that was big for me. Um, you know, passing along my resume, like that was, that was really big for me that, that helped out a lot. And that was just a connection that I made through the school again. So that was really big. Um, when it comes to skill set stuff though, Marist has definitely helped out too. Like I've learned a lot more at Marist. I mean, at uh, the MLB network with premier, like that's just going to happen. You're going to get to work and be able to think you that, you know, things, and you're going to learn so much more just because it's so focused on that. Like so many different things that I could do on premier, like editing wise, I learned at the network because they have Again, I, I think, it, I mean, we have Premiere on our computers at all times, not our personal computers. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I know we use it at like a desktop. Um, but like having to work eight hours a day with that program, like you learn it pretty good and you learn it pretty fast. So uh, it's definitely a little bit different on that aspect, but just getting my general knowledge of Premiere at Marist and just playing around with editing, I think is super important. Like if you, I think, want to, do stuff in this field if you want to become a uh, part of broadcasting specifically maybe not journalism but like if you want to be a broadcaster and be on air and do things like that you're going to have to be pretty in-depth with premiere premiere in my opinion because no matter what you do where you start you're probably gonna have to use premiere a lot but when you start you're not just gonna jump on and be on air like you're gonna have to know how to do premiere so that was big and i think maris helped me a lot in Again, journalism, learning how to talk to people, I think was big. Learning how to frame questions was big. Um, Just getting experience, I think, was really big at Marist. Because, you know, I wasn't always the most confident kid in, you know, high school. And then coming into college where I was forced to ask people questions, forced to talk to people, forced to talk in front of class, forced to, you know, take over MCTV and kind of like run that. Um that was big. And I think that's helped me a lot, get a lot more comfortable in what I can do and what I can't do. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that, and I mean, I haven't had to really write since leaving Marist. I've done a little bit of like my blogs for uh, fan sided. I've only done not, not that many. Um, but that's another big skill set aspect too, that I would say is really fleshed out that I haven't used, but I know I can use is my writing that I've learned from like Leander and uh, Professor McNulty that I've taken there. So yeah, I would say Maris definitely prepared me as well as they could for uh, the field. Again, like I'm not going to learn every aspect of Premiere at Marist, but I think they prepared me really well that I was able to really take advantage of my job once I actually got there and got a job. And I mean, Maris helped me get a job too in the first place. So I would say they prepared me pretty well. And then, you know, what would you say, you know, at MLMU Network, that is like the biggest lesson that you've learned, you know, starting your quote-unquote first like official job oh man i would say it's learning that mistakes are like okay and good because i think when you take on a job like you make a mistake and you're like damn dude especially especially with the sports comm industry i feel like you always want to make an impression because it always feels like a competition like in my mind when i'm at work it always feels like it's a competition like even the people i'm friends with at work like i feel like what i'm making is competing against them because it's going to be okay is his what is the videos he creating better than other people from his group uh, you know other people that are working here right now um and then that could lead to potentially being seen more getting known more in the building getting promoted eventually it feels a lot more again like a competition almost like i i compare it i've compared a lot of what i learned to like i guess being a player 
like being a what I imagine it's like I'm I'm not an athlete I'm not on a team but what I imagine it's like um you're always competing you're always competing to show that you belong there right and that you're better than the next guy in your uh position right if you're you're a wide receiver you want to be the best wide receiver you want to be number one um otherwise you're gonna get cut like that's kind of like the mindset that I've had through this is that it is a competition but it's okay to make mistakes like I think thinking that everything is a competition thinking that everything uh, you know, is being watched with a microscope um, that you do maybe isn't always necessarily true. Um, you don't have to be perfect all the time because people aren't perfect. You don't, you, everything you produce doesn't have to be amazing and blow your socks off. But I think that I've learned the most from the mistakes I've made, like putting together a video and watching it a month later. And I'm like, damn, this thing is like not, not that good. Like I've actually gotten a lot better. Um, and like, for example, uh, a couple weeks ago, let me just quick, quick story. I, I know we're running out of time a little bit, but a uh, quick story a couple weeks ago. I, so for MLB now, um, Brian Kelly does like a little script read thing where he, uh, he talks about it. He does like an analytics script thing that opens the show usually. And I've had to do that a couple times. And one of the times I had to do it, it was on judge and Maris and like their comparison so i was really being a yankee fan i was going really deep into it because you have to kind of match what he has written down to the video that you're making so he was talking about maris and then jumping to judge and then going back to Maris. so i was really trying to match the video to like okay this is when he's talking about maris this is when he's talking about judge this is when he's talking about maris going back and forth and really doing it and i spent so much of my time before the show like trying to find good footage to use and i clipped there was four i had to do four different videos the first video i did it i had like two hours left before the show started or like an hour and a half left and i had all the footage i basically wanted and needed and i shipped in the first one and then my my supervisor was like oh yeah he just wants this to just be judge and he wants like the matter stuff later on and i was like dude so i spent all this time on something that's that i didn't need to do and by the time I finished all my videos that I was doing, it came down to uh, came down right to around when the show was airing. And I got it in like two minutes before the show aired. And I said to the guy, I was like, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, I was real. every time I've done it before, I've matched the words. Like, that's what they told me to do. And I was like, I'm really sorry. Like, I thought that's what you wanted me to do. And he was like, yeah, it's fine. Um, let's just hope it, it airs without a problem. And I was like, dude i was like oh my god i'm never gonna do this again like i'm never gonna get put on this again like i barely got it in time like i felt I, I was so upset with myself um and i learned that um it really is okay though to like make those mistakes like early on like i remember for the rest of the day too i was like in a terrible mood like i was like this must be what it feels like when you're like you see a player like not catch a ball to like win the game like that's that's how i was like in a terrible mood the rest of the day i was like dude I, i'm never gonna be on this again um and I've had mistakes before, like when I'm working there, like I, I put a frame black in the beginning, let's say, and the producer catches it. He's like, yo, you got to like change this. And it, it's just something that happens, you know? I mean, there's even one time when I was started working on hockey, like I just started doing it. So I was just getting used to the videos that I have to make. And I made one and I wasn't able to send it to the editor to get it treated and look a little bit visually better. So it had to just air by itself, which I mean, it doesn't look that much different. So it's like not that big of a deal. Um, but even then, like, I was like, damn, dude, like, yeah, I made a mistake. Like, it sucks. But if you dwell on them too long, I feel like it really hurt um, hurt your production and hurt what you do and hurt 
what you end up making. So to dwell on it for too long, I and I think dwelling on it for too long only again, like I was in a bad mood. If I had that mindset every day, just because I made one mistake a couple of days ago, it would kill what I was doing because I didn't want to work for the rest of that day just because like I was upset about it. Um, but if you learn that, okay, every mistake I make can only teach me something like from that experience where I handed in almost too late, I went like, Hey, maybe, uh, if I spend a little bit less time on things, don't overthink it. Just, you know, whatever my producer wants or high soup wants, just do it straight up and get in a lot quicker. And don't worry so much about trying to make it this perfect thing. That's cut exactly to time or exactly as he's saying it, like, okay, three seconds for this word, two seconds for this word, whatever. I'm not obsessing over perfection. Um, like, yeah, you want to make it as close to perfect as possible. But if you're obsessing over it too much, I feel like you could destroy what you're doing. And that's a lesson that I learned from that. Even from that other video I made before, it's like, okay, if I work on, you know, pacing my time well, if I really start from the beginning, keep up with these hockey games and cut it as I'm going, it's going to make it come out a lot quicker and essentially be what they're looking for. Um, and I made a bunch of other mistakes and I've learned a bunch more from them. So I feel like if you're going into the sports profession and broadcasting profession, like don't make a mistake and let it just completely throw you off. Like you have to be able to shake it off, be like, okay, that sucked that I made the mistake, but I have to take something away from it. Um, I think that's the biggest lesson more than anything. And of course, listening, like you got to be able to listen to your supervisors and people that are better than you and don't think you know everything. but I feel like a lot of people could get thrown off by making mistakes because you think that you're going to get cut or you think that you're not going to be given that position again. Um, as long as you don't make the same mistakes consistently after they've told you uh, what you did wrong, you're good. Like everybody makes mistakes. It's totally fine. Just learn from them. All right. Now moving over to part two of Derek's discussions, we're just talking sports. We're going to mainly talk about the NFL Obviously, the NFL season has been kind of odd, I would say, this season. A lot of expectations have changed uh, just over the first couple of weeks, pretty much. You've seen the New York Giants surprisingly do well. Um, you've seen the Jets do well. The Dolphins have been kind of unexpected. A lot of teams that are unexpected doing well and other teams that are not doing as well. So just, Connor, what are your overall thoughts so far on kind of everything that's gone on with teams overperforming and teams underperforming? Yeah, I think weird season. I think my thoughts are, I don't even know what to make of the season anymore. I don't know what to make of this league anymore because so many teams that we thought were going to be good. Uh, I I mean, just look at the AFC West in general, right? The I My Raiders aren't doing very well, but neither are the Chargers or the uh, Broncos and the Chiefs I, as good as they are with like a beatable team. Um, yeah, it's just, I feel like such an unpredictable season. Like, Again, I don't think two is playing that well, but the Dolphins are like kind of doing really good. Like I two is doing better than I thought, but I still don't think he's like that great of a quarterback and they're doing good. The Packers suck. The Buccaneers look terrible. Like it's I, I, it's just a weird season. I mean, the Rams for some reason look awful. <laughs> like I think they're even more surprised than the Buccaneers because the Buccaneers still have a good defense um, and all that. But the Buccaneers, to me, I was very nervous about their production because they lost so many offensive linemen before the start of the season. Mm -hmm. I guess the Rams have lost a lot of offensive linemen too, but I, I don't know. It's just so weird that the, I, and I guess the Rams also have no run game whatsoever. Um, so that, that doesn't help, but yeah, it's just such a weird year. Unpredictable. Like the, the NFC South is just terrible. Like how are the Panthers in first place right now? Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what to what to make of this season at all. Like your your Giants are good. The Jets will go. You know, I think they were. What, did they win five in a row? Was that? Yeah, is that well, they have they have five wins total. So I don't know if they were all they in a row, but they're they five do, and I, three right now as we speak. I don't think it was. Yeah, it wasn't in a row. I think they won like four in a row though. I think they have like a, a couple in a row that they got. Um, and, but now, like, Jets fans were hype, and now, like, Jets fans want to burn to the ground because Zach Wilson look good and they didn't beat Bill Belichick. So, like, it's insane that they're even 5-3. and three, So what is there to complain about, Jet fans? But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to make of the season. It's just a weird year for the NFL where, like, quite literally, like, I'm trying not to get my hopes up too much for the Raiders. They're sitting at 2-5 and five right now. Um, but what's insane is they're sitting at 2-5, and five, and you can't say that they're completely out of the playoffs. Like, for the most part, they're not going to make the playoffs. But – they could still make it like that's what's insane a team that's two and five can still potentially make the playoffs that's what's so bizarre about this season so yeah just a weird year all around football yeah the Jets won uh four in a row um and then in the NFC uh NFC South the Atlanta Falcons are kind of the team that no one's like they're not even that good yet they're four and four and they're the leader but I think I just want to say this before we get into more uh topics is on one of these episodes of Derek's discussions, I talked about, you know, what my sleeper team was going into the season. Yeah. And I, you know, with all the offseason stuff going around with Zach Wilson, I said the New York Jets are going to surprise some people. And they are surprising people right now. They are five and three. And, you know, I think Zach Wilson, people don't think he's that good just based on the fact that Joe Flacco was so good when he was quarterback. But, you know, I think Zach Wilson's a quarterback that's good. I don't think he's elite by any stretch of the imaginations, but he's winning them games. One thing that I just found interesting is every single year you talk about the NFL trade deadline, you're expecting a big move or so many moves or whatever. And I feel like every season, it doesn't seem like there's that move necessarily. This year, Bradley Chubb going to the Dolphins was huge. And obviously there's other moves in there. But you talk this year, it seemed like all these receivers are going to get traded. DJ Moore is going to get traded. Uh, Chase Claypool did get traded to the Bears for a second-round pick, which to me was surprising. I didn't understand that deal. And all these other deals are like they're expecting so many deals to happen. It just doesn't happen in the NFL just because of you know only having 16, 17 weeks you know, of an entire season. There's It's hard to adapt just, ov- just overall. But – what are your thoughts? Like, do you see one of those teams that are, you know, un- unexpected right now that is doing well that could make a, you know, Super Bowl run? Like, realistically, a Super Bowl run? Mm, that's a good question. I don't see, like, the Falcons aren't going to do that. Like, they, they just don't have the pieces on the roster. Um, That is a good – that is honestly a good question. I still think, as of right now, I don't think any team is getting past the Buffalo Bills. I don't think the Chiefs are either. Like, we saw what they looked like against each other. So, even if I were to pick a sleeper team, the AFC, I think it's irrelevant because I don't, again, I don't think any team is going to be making it past the Buffalo Bills. As for the NFC, the, oh, I, I know a team that's totally been outperforming that's actually been good on the NFC level. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks. Shout out to the Seattle Seahawks. I thought they were going to be awful. Um, I know their record doesn't show. I know. So maybe that's not technically a sleeper because their record, but I think if you told me before the season started that the Seattle Seahawks would be winning that division and Geno Smith would look like the best quarterback in the league, I would say you're absolutely insane. You're a Seattle Seahawk homer. Um, 
But no, they're a team that I don't, I don't necessarily think they're going to make it to the Super Bowl, but I could definitely see them winning a game or two in the playoffs, um, mm-hmm. maybe eventually getting knocked out. I don't know. It's hard for me to say that some of these lower level teams, and I'll, I'll pull up the uh, I'll pull up the NHL standings. I mean, the NHL NFL standings real quick, um, just to refresh my memory to see where everybody's at because it's so hard to keep up with who is who is where in this league right now. Um, I think. I don't know because the whole AFC to me is is a, is an absolute crapshoot. AFC South is just the Titans. The Colts look awful. Uh, that's, AFC- a, that's a big surprise to me. The Colts that that are terrible this year. I mean, I get Jonathan Taylor's not performing, but it seems like it seems like every single time people are saying it's the quarterback that need they need a quarterback. I think they need a quarterback, but I think they need they just need something else. Because if you yeah. put like uh, Aaron Rodgers or like, just uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Colts, they're not a Super Bowl team. Yes, they're a playoff team, depending on the quarterback. But it's I don't know what they're missing besides a quarterback. But it seems like they're missing something else. Personally, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and say it. I think they're missing offensive line. I know they have Quentin Nelson, and we talk a lot about Quentin Nelson. But outside of Quentin Nelson, who can you honestly look at that offensive line and say? Wow, that that's a great offensive line. I think they could use another weapon um, in the receiving core too. I mean, they have Michael Pittman and they have Alec Pierce, who's looking pretty good. But Michael Pittman, to me, I mean, he's a great receiver. Um, he's but a two. he's a two. Yeah, I wouldn't put him in the category of a Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, Tyree Kill. But he's he's just not. And that's nothing against him. He's great. He's just not. Um, I feel like his production would be insane if he had a true number one next to him. Um, and I think that hurts him a lot too, because you could have the best quarterback in the league, but if you have a number two as your number one, he's going to get double teams all the time. And then your numbers three and four, who are normally a four and five, aren't going to be getting open. So I think that's what really hurts that team the most. I would say offensive line and, and lack of receiver, if we're talking offensively. Yeah, that's fair. I think Kelly's good at center, but I think I think it seems like the offensive line and the receiver core um, – and then the defense, I don't think, has been playing that well either. But that's kind of, you know, on the Colts. I think the AFC is an interesting thing because going into the season, everybody was like, oh, the Kansas City Chiefs are just going to kind of run, quote-unquote, run the table. Uh, they, it seems like they're not running the table, but they're kind of doing what everybody was supposed to expect. Personally, I thought the Chiefs were might have been third or fourth in that division, and yeah. I don't, and I don't think that the Chiefs are that – Yes, they're winning games, but they don't wow me. The Buffalo Bills have one loss, but I still feel like in the AFC, there's not that elite team. I think the Jets could be a team. I think the Dolphins could be a team. I think Tua, if with if you if you talk about this, Tua Tungvaluwa has two exceptional weapons that have played this season and possibly a third in Gasecki. I get it. Gasecki's been up and down. It's kind of like up and down, but Jalen Waddle has performed tremendously this season Tyreek Hill is just Tyreek Hill people are saying oh Tyreek Hill is not going to be the same with Tua I just go back to Tua Tungavailoa playing at Alabama all he needed at Alabama was speed they did he just needed players to get open and he can find them so I think when you're talking about Tua it's not just the you know little down passes that he did the first couple seasons he can throw the ball down the field and I feel like he's shown that this season, uh, I feel like the I feel like honestly, if you're trying to tell me what I would say for a sleeper in the AFC, I'm gonna stick with it. I'm gonna continue to go with the New York Jets just because I feel like they're in the AFC East. They're close to the Bills. I think they're still pieces away to beating the Bills, 
but I don't see a team where AFC South to me is just terrible. I don't like any of those teams. AFC West just seems like they just under they, all of them are underperforming except for the Kansas City Chiefs. I think the right now, if you were to tell me what's the best conference in the a, in the AFC, I'd say the AFC East. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. And I think, <clears throat> listen, I think the Jets being five three is great. It's something to be proud of, especially if you're a Jet fan. I don't have faith in Zach Wilson right now. And it's not because he's bad. I think Zach Wilson has potential to be good. Um, I just think right now he's still making a lot of rookie mistakes. He's still like when you watch him play, I think he he uses his feet a little too much, which is I mean, you always want a quarterback to be able to be mobile and run out of the pocket and use his feet. But I feel like more often than not, I, I turn I see a Jets play come on the red zone and it's just Zach Wilson running sideline to sideline, trying to escape pressure and make a throw, and he never does. So I don't think they're bad. I think he's a young quarterback who's still learning. And I don't think it's, you know, a lot of Jet fans are like, oh, this guy sucks. We need to get a quarterback. It's not time to ship him away. Give him time to learn. Um, you guys are overperforming this season. If you do go on some kind of run, that'd be great. I don't have faith in that. Now, if Brees Hall was still on that roster, I'd have yeah. more faith in him. He looked great. Um, their defense obviously looks really good with like Sauce Gardner, CJ Mosley, um, Carl Lawson. They got a good group over there too. Uh, I would actually say if I'm picking a sleeper from the AFC, might go Browns. Um, I hate Deshaun Watson, who's a scumbag, but when he comes back, he's still probably going to play at a high level. Um, and I think that between their run game and having a better quarterback than Jacoby Brissett, who's had some questionable turnovers uh, in some key games, I think they could be a better team. I don't have a lot of faith in the Bengals because their offensive line, and I don't think their defense is anything special. Now they're without Jamar for a couple of weeks. So I'm going to say the Browns are a team that could be a little potentially good. If they could survive right now, if they could survive until Deshaun Watson comes back, I think they could potentially be a pretty, pretty good team when he, although, but the question remains, what is he going to be like? He hasn't played in two years. That, that is the question with Deshaun Watson. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know that that would be my one, maybe like quote unquote sleeper pick from the AFC. Personally, in my opinion on the, you know, Cleveland Browns, uh, I've always considered Jacoby Brissett as a stopgap quarterback. Um, I think he's solid. I don't think he's anything special. I still think, you know, when you look at the Cleveland Browns, their run game is something I really like. I still have questions with the Kareem Hunt situation. If he's going to be playing that much, obviously he demanded a trade. He didn't get traded, that kind of thing. But you can talk all about the off-the-field stuff with Deshaun Watson. I still think Deshaun Watson, when healthy, is like a top five, top ten quarterback. And I think the only question now is he had a lot of time off. So that's going to be the biggest question. That's my concern. Talking about the Cleveland Browns, and they got weapons, but nothing really wows me when talking about the Cleveland Browns besides if Watson comes back and comes back to be a top ten quarterback. That would be the one thing that would wow me. Yeah, exactly. That's that's my point though, because I like their run game a lot. I think defensively, like when Miles Garrett is like turned up, turned up to hundred, which he always is, uh, he's gonna destroy whoever's in front of him. And I think he's he's a game wrecker. Like he's a guy if he's on, like we saw uh who who did Browns play this past week that they that he uh had a great game. He had like I think like two sacks, he had like a fumble. Forced fumble. Was it the Bengals that they played? They just played the Bengals. They won 32 to 13. Yeah, he he wrecked that game. He he had Joe Burrow running scared pretty much the whole game. So um when he's on, especially when he when he's against a, a weaker competition on the offensive line, he's 
he's electric. And I think if you pair him with an offense that could run the ball hard and have a good quarterback at the helm, which again, we don't know what Deshaun Watson is going to be like when he comes back, but if all those things click, I think they could be a pretty good team. Oh yeah. I think you're, you're right on point um, with the Browns. I think they have the potential. I'm just not sure this is going to be a year where they, you know, kind of make the, not necessarily make the playoffs, but I don't think they're going to make a run just on the uncertainty of uh, Watson and everything else kind of going on. And that kind of chemistry, I guess you'd say in the backfield, if Watson comes back with Chubb and Hunt. Now moving over to the NFC, honestly, this NFC is just, it's strange to me. I, I can't believe my giants are six and two. Like I honestly wasn't sure that they were going to have six wins on the season. Uh, people were upset that they've lost close losses to the Cowboys and then lost close loss against the Seahawks. And I'm just thinking to myself, you're complaining about those two. Like, honestly, and people are wowing about Daniel Jones. This is my opinion on Daniel Jones. And then I'll, I'll let you have the floor on, on Jones. I think Jones is playing mistake free football, similar to uh, Geno Smith. I like it because I don't think the uh, I don't think Daniel Jones is a franchise quarterback but I think when you're talking about the future of this team 5 years down the road I don't think Daniel Jones will be the starting quarterback I don't think Geno Smith would be the starting quarterback they seem like bridge quarterbacks to me just based on playing mistake free football doing the easy reads doing that stuff see this is what I think on the New York Giants I think you get a stopgap you either keep Daniel Jones for three to four years, same thing with Saquon Barkley, run it back, see what happens. And I think when you're, if you're bad or looking to be bad, that third or fourth year, depending on the contract situation, you trade those guys, get more picks, and then trade up in the draft. And guess who I'm going with? I'm going with Arch Manning. That is the guy that I want on the New York Ball Giants. To me, this is one of the, one of the, top recruits that's right now in high school going to be at Texas that I honestly love. Like this is the quarterback that basically has my entire heart right now because of the name, how he plays quarterback, just everything about the oral aura uh, surrounding him. What are your thoughts first on Daniel Jones and then kind of getting into Arch a little bit? Yeah, I think, uh, I think you make a good point. I I like the comparison between Gino and Daniel Jones. I think that's a fair comparison. I do think that Daniel Jones, though, kind of fits oh, excuse me, Brian Dable's scheme that he has going on um, just because he he has a similar skill set to Josh Allen. Obviously not as good, but he's got the ability to get mobile. And I mean, he can throw the ball when he needs to and make his reads. Uh, and when you pair him with Saquon Barkley, I mean, it's dead deadly combo because Saquon Barkley is always going to create separation for you as a quarterback, take some of the pressure off of you because he runs the ball so efficiently. Um. Yeah, I think I think they're going to extend Daniel Jones after the season. I I think he's going to be around for another three to four years, like you said. Um, and now, when it comes to Arch Manning, I I'm going to be honest with you. Don't know enough about Arch Manning's high school career to uh, to go in depth about what I think his potential is. I mean, he's a Manning, so he's got that name, right? He's got that that reputation just because of his last name. Um, do I think he's going to be the next NFL star? I don't want to get my hopes up too much and say that he is just because he's a Manning. Uh, but I'll, you know, Derek, I'll, I'll take your word for it. I don't, I don't know enough about Arch Manning's high school career to say that I think he's going to be an NFL star. I'm going to wait and see what he does at a college level first, and then we can talk about 
where is he going to end up and should he be the future of the New York Giants? <laughs> it's very, very uh, far in the future. Uh, so I don't know too much about that. But yeah, I will say I do think Daniel Jones, I think I thought Daniel Jones was better than a lot of people gave him credit for. I think he's actually a pretty decent quarterback. Like I think right now, I think he's better than than Zach Wilson. Um, just if you're comparing the two quarterbacks, I like Daniel Jones. Um, and I think he'll be good going forward. Um, so yeah, if you extend him, I don't mind that. I think he'll be good. I think Jones is fine. Um, when you compare, when you said that Zach Wilson is not as good as Daniel Jones, that had my eyes going a little bit. Oh, I'm I gonna think... say right now. I'm gonna say yeah, right. Now. Okay, right now, yes. But like this year, like yeah, I'm gonna yeah, say that's that. fair. The only but... thing I I dislike right now about the NFL football, it seems like the teams that are doing well, at least in my opinion, are playing uh mistake free football. Yeah, I would, agree. You, would you agree with that statement that most teams that are winning are playing mistake free football? Yeah, I I think I'd agree with that for the most part. Um, I think I think a perfect example is is the Las Vegas Raiders, right? I mean, look at how many close games they were in. I think easily the Raiders could be four and three, five and two right now, winning record. I think that's a very easy argument. But you look at some of their losses, right? Uh, against the Arizona Cardinals, letting the Cardinals come all the way back, not letting Kyler Murray run around for twenty seconds, and then fumbling the ball to lose the game. <laughs> Uh, mistake right there look at their loss to the Tennessee Titans Darren Waller had two drops that probably would have led to touchdowns mistakes right there they had a couple offsides in that call you look at the Chiefs game right they were beating the cheat they were up against the Chiefs they had them going and then uh, they had a bad holding call on a field goal which was stupid but it wasn't a hold in my opinion but still a mistake and then Devontae Adams couldn't get two feet down that would probably steal the game put them in field goal range again and 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 Hunter Renfro and Devontae running into each other, mistake. And then I mean last last week they just looked awful, couldn't get their reads, whatever for whatever reason. But for a lot of those losses that they've had this year, I would say three, um, three or four of the uh, there's a loss I'm I'm forgetting right now, but three of the four losses that they had, three or four of the five losses that they have, I would say are because of mistakes. And I think they're a perfect example of what's going on with the NFL this year. In that, if you play mistake free football you're going to do great. I think that's why the jets do so good. That's why the chiefs are five and two. Um, they're not, they're just not making mistakes. They're a well-disciplined team. So to be a well-disciplined team that doesn't make mistakes and have quarter players that don't turn the football over or don't make mental mistakes defensively. Uh, they're, they're the ones that are going to, they're, they're going to do well. And we've seen that this year. First of all, do you like mistake-free football knowing that the fact that I feel like when I'm talking about mistake-free football, it's not that they're winning games; it's that the other team is losing them. Do you do you like that? Personally, I hate it. I don't like that at all. And I think, yes, it's winning you games now. But I think when you're talking <clears throat> about the playoffs, you, it's not it's not gonna work. Like I I don't I don't see the Seahawks doing anything. I think they're gonna have a somewhat of a collapse in the next few weeks. I think the Giants are gonna have the same thing. I think you're talking about these teams that are playing mistake free football. And I don't think it's going to work out in the long run or the, in the next couple of weeks. I think it's going to start to get to them. Yeah, I think that's a fair take. I think, you know, nobody can stay perfect forever. So what happens if they start making some of these mistakes and start dropping games? I think I think the more disciplined team is always going to do better. And the team that, you know, the quarterback that makes his reads and makes the good throws, does what he needs to do, is always going to be better. Um, but the thing is, what happens when you face like, like the Seahawks? What happens if they face a really elite team, let's say like the Buffalo Bills? Um, with a good pass rush, put put pressure on Geno Smith and don't let Kenneth Walker run the ball and make Geno Smith make throws and put pressure on him. 
who knows what's going to happen in that type of game. And I don't think the Seahawks defense is anything crazy. Like Tariq Wollin's been good, but outside of him, like I don't think they're that great defensively. Um, so yeah, I, I would kind of agree with you. I especially hate to, when you when you talk about mistakes. Do you mean like uh, penalties, or are you saying just uh, mistakes you know? in general? So like if you're talking about the Giants and the uh, Seattle Seahawks, they're doing easy reads. So like let's say there's a guy uh, not necessarily open, but he's covered, you know, down the field. But you got a halfback screen that's wide open. The San Francisco Giants, I mean the Sa- the Seattle Seahawks and the New York Giants would both both be dumping it off to the halfback instead of throwing it deep. So like basically like playing, not playing not to lose, but basically playing not to lose in that scenario. Like not, not going, not trying, not necessarily not trying to win, but I think you get my point of they're being cautious. They're not, you know, trying to go out there and be aggressive necessarily. Right. I think right now it's, it's working for them. So I think they're going to keep running it until it doesn't work. But I think once you start again, once they play really good teams, and they take certain players out of the equation. Like, so for example, the Giants, you take Saquon Barkley out of the, the equation there. The if you find a way to really, the game's over, like the offense is not doing anything. I mean, it's kind of the same thing in Seattle. Like, I think if you take, I mean, granted, Gino's still going to make some throws because the, the, the Seahawks have good receivers, better receiver depth than the Giants do. Uh, but I think for the most part, if you take their running game out and force Gino to make throws and put pressure on Gino, which again, no disrespect to Gino, he's playing well. But I think if you, I haven't, I think I haven't seen a team get really good pressure on Gino and like make him feel uncomfortable in the pocket and make him make crazy throws and really lock up the receivers. If you do that to the Seahawks, I think that's going to really limit their offense. Um, but I think you're right. I think they're going to save things, which again, it's working right now. Um, but if some of these teams, these better teams, like these upper echelon, like Bills, um, uh the the, the eagles <laughs> the eagle. I mean, it's so hard to say yeah because you don't even know anymore exactly but i feel like eagles uh again i don't think the chiefs are that good but maybe like the chiefs offensively if they can find ways to expose mm-hmm. them and to just outscore them like that's gonna that's gonna show up because like again, i think that's that that's a perfect example the chiefs going against up against the team like the seahawks and the giants right yeah, I think the Chiefs would win by far right. just based on the fact that they have explosiveness. And I think when you talk about the Seahawks, the mistake-free football is – don't get me wrong. You got Lockett and Metcalf. Yeah. I haven't seen – maybe I'm maybe i just missing something, but I haven't seen Geno Smith throw the ball down like 20 or 30 yards down the field, deep passes. It's been short routes to his receivers to get open quickly. It's nothing – to me, it's nothing too special, and that's what I've been kind of alluding to of mistake-free football. It's short passes – run the football, make your – basically, I'll call it defensive football. You're mm-hmm. basically having your defense do most of the work while your offense is just being, you know, steady, kind of stopgap-ish, if that makes sense. Right, and that's why I was going to say, like, if you go against a team like the Bills or the Chiefs yes. who have a really explosive offense, they're just going to outscore them. And when you have an offense that isn't explosive, that can't c- compete with you, you're, you're not going to do anything. Like, I think, I think a great example, again, just to – I'm just using the Raiders as an example just because I watch them the most on any other team – but the Raiders generally have enough offensive pieces to be an explosive offense. Now, have they been explosive all the time? No. Um, but we saw in that Chiefs game that when you have the weapons like that, you can go toe-to-toe with the Chiefs, but you have to be able to keep up with them and score offensively. I don't think the Giants and the Seahawks have an offense that can keep up. And I don't think their their defenses are good, but I don't think their defenses are so good that you could stop Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs offense and Andy Reid for an entire game. You're going to have to be able to go toe-to-toe and score up with them. Like, I think that's why the Bills are the – perfect matchup against the chiefs because they have a good defense um especially now that they have von miller on that group when he's there 
Um, but and their but their offense is good. Like they don't stop the Chiefs the whole game, right? The Chiefs are still going to score, but they stop them enough times and outpace them enough with how good their offense is to beat the Chiefs pretty much for the most part. Like they should have beat them last year in the playoffs and they beat them this year again. I think right now the Bills are a better team. So yeah, I think you're you're, you're right on that. I think once they play a truly elite team with a really great offense, they're just not going to be able to keep up. Yeah, I think overall just this NFL season is kind of been interesting and kind of chaotic at times uh obviously the college football football has been happening it should be interesting to see uh draft slot wise who's going to get a quarterback because it doesn't seem like any team is necessarily in need like in desperate need of a quarterback you could say the Lions, but golf is fine mills is fine like these quarterbacks aren't bad at all by any stretching imaginations Mm -hmm. It seems like the Carolina Panthers situation is really the only one that kind of really is bad and needs a quarterback. I mean, you can say the commanders, you can say the Colts, but they're just, they're teams that are fine. They just are a quarterback away and who knows, who knows what will happen with the future of the NFL and just wrapping up here, Connor, do you have any last words for uh, listeners on Derek's discussions episode 19? No, nah, I just want to say it was great to be on here. Um, great talking about, you know, it's nice to be interviewed. I, I, I don't always get interviewed. Usually I feel like when, when I do videos and stuff, I'm the person interviewing <laughs> and the person hosting. So it was nice just being the guy to sit here and answer questions and give my thoughts. Like that was a cool change of pace. Um, so yeah, it was great to get on here and talk about what I've kind of been doing in my career and what my time was like at Marist. Um, and then also talk football. Uh, I'd love to be on again if you ever would have me. So we maybe we could talk about uh, some Yankees the off season because that's around the bend, and I know it's going to be unpredictable. It's going to be a mess because it looks like Brian Cashman is probably going to stay, which I, I I don't know how to feel about that. Um, but yeah, so I, it's been great being on here. Uh, it's been great talking about myself, talking about football, talking about sports. And Derek, I wish you the best of luck this semester. I hope everything goes good. Uh, keep doing your thing. You're doing great. And uh, yeah, I hope I beat you in fantasy this week, even though probably that's not, not, that's not happening. Uh, I it's got not happening. No, it's not dude, happening after Goddard got 20 points. So I, I'm looking yeah. pretty good when that happened. And now Darren Waller's out. I'm going to have to run out Robert Tanya again. I was like, it's a wrap. <laughs> it's a wrap. It's a wrap for this game. Um, <clears throat> but no, Derek, best of luck to you. And again, thank you for having me on. Thank you, Connor.